Israel had been religious prior to this, but I think now they get it. This wasn't about ritual, it was about relationship. That is what would make them a special people, their relationship with God. That is what they want. You know, this is the last step to experiencing God's grace. You have to believe that He'll be gracious when you Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, right? Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. Moses had spent 40 days receiving from God the civil and ceremonial laws that the Israelites were to obey. It was a magnificent time for Moses that ended in catastrophe, as God informed Moses about the people committing idolatry down in the camp at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses came down to deal with the people and destroyed the golden calf they had been worshipping. They thought by destroying the idol and killing those that kept carousing in lewd behavior and dancing that God would be appeased. But God does not just arbitrarily forgive. He is a just God. He told Moses that he would not destroy the people, but that an angel would lead them to the promised land, not God himself. Moses was heartbroken. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. Everything God showed him in the mount for 40 days is all moot now because of their sin with the bull. And yet, as Moses stands there stunned, the Lord commands him to leave and take the people with him. Verse 1, chapter 33. He's sitting there stunned and the Lord says to Moses, depart, come on, let's go. And go up from here, leave the mountain and my presence. I send my angel with you, leave the mountain, leave my presence and the people which you have brought up out of, out of the land of Egypt and take them unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob saying unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hittite, the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, there's a pause, a colon. There's lots of pauses here. And, and it's almost like you know, Moses is still standing there. And you're really not going to come with us. And the Lord explains, For I will not go up in the middle of you, for you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you in the way. You're a stubborn, unyielding, unchanging in attitude and behavior people. And so the truth is this. This is even a sense of the Lord's mercy and his judgment. Moses still wants God to come with them, even though he's not asking God anymore. It's in his heart. God knows this. And so he explains to Moses, listen, even if I answered every desire of your heart right now, Moses, if I just forgave them, I said, you know what, Moses, I'll forgive them. Let's go. And I come in their midst. The people would do something like this again because I know what they're like. And being in their midst, there would be no negotiations right now. If I was right in the middle of them and they violated the covenant again, crispy crittered. And you know what this reveals to us? It reveals to us that the people hadn't really changed their mind about their behavior yet. They hadn't repented. They might have been sorry. They might have even realized that they were wrong. But they hadn't turned away from it. You know, they figure, well, Moses always has fixed any problems with God, which is true. They'd whine about something, he'd go pray, and God took care of it. Well, God, Moses will fix this one too. Well, this time, Moses has bad news for him. Verse 4, And when the people 
heard these evil, the word there evil means bad or sad. When they heard these bad or sad tidings, the sad news, it says they mourn. Again, another pause, colon, they mourned. They were not expecting this response. Moses comes down, he says, guys, here's the deal. We gotta go. We gotta get away from this mountain. We gotta go get away from the presence of the Lord and, and we're gonna go to the promised land. He's gonna send his angel with us to lead us and guarantee success, but he's not, he's not coming. We blew it. And as that reality sinks in, they begin to mourn. It's interesting. This is in the hithpale or reflective voice in the Hebrew, which means that they were the initiator of this mourning. It's not like Moses is like, listen, guys, you, know, you really need to take this seriously and mourn because you know, maybe God will change his mind. No. I mean, they hear this and they just are broken. They finally realize what their sin had cost them, a relationship with God Almighty. It finally sinks in. And I believe with all my heart that this was a genuine sadness over what they've done. Finally, a genuine sadness over what they've done. A genuine repentance. This is the third part of experiencing God's grace. We have to recognize our sin. We have to make a no excuses confession. But we also need to humble our heart to the place where we're ready to just turn it around. A humble person is broken hearted because they've done wrong against the Lord. A proud person is simply sad they got caught. And that's kind of how it seemed to be up to this point. They're sad. I mean, this is bad, man. God's mad and 3,000 people at least are dead. And, you know, and that fire up on the mountain, the smoke doesn't look very good. And as they're seeing that, they send Moses up. They're thinking, ah, Moses will work it out. But then they come down and they get the bad news and it really hits them. They're like, what? He's not coming with us? And they begin to mourn. Their hearts are broken over what they've done. They have come to that place of real repentance, real regret, real desire to change. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about this difference between godly repentance and ungodly repentance. Paul says, now I rejoice in verse 9 of chapter 7 in 2 Corinthians, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us nothing. You wanted to fix it. For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You don't, you don't want to go back to that old way of living. But the sorrow of the world, that produces death. It's interesting here, it mentions that in the state of mourning, it comments, and no man did put on him his ornaments. Everybody's saying, why is that? Well, Moses is going to explain. For the Lord had said unto Moses, you say unto the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of you in a moment and just, consume you, destroy you. Therefore now, put off all your ornaments from you that I might know what to do unto you. So the children of Israel had stripped themselves of their ornaments by the mountain. They had used their ornaments, their jewelry to worship an idol. And here the Lord says, you know what? I I even look at those things and I immediately see your idolatry. Take them off. Humble yourself before me lest I just come right in your midst and wipe you out. And so they had done it. Well, their hope is in doing that. We'll we'll obey the Lord now and God will forgive us and Moses will make it right and everything will be okay. But now the verdict has come down. God isn't gonna forgive us. And no, he's not going with us. And as they mourn, none of them put their jewelry back on. I find that to be significant. I think this was very clear proof of their repentance. At some point, most likely after the 3,000 were slain, God gave this command to Moses. But now they can put them back on because God has rendered his verdict and yet they don't. And you know what? This is so important because when we read this passage, we mostly focus on Moses' refusal to move forward without the Lord. Moses keeps coming back to God. God, I don't want to go. And if you're not coming, I don't want to go. But the people, they didn't want to either. They, they didn't want to go forward without God either. 
The entire nation is humbling themselves before God. Even after God has said, the verdict's done, here, go, leave. Leave me, leave the mountain and go to the promised land. I'll guarantee success, that's it. I'll keep my promise. But they are humbling themselves before God. They're not going anywhere. And you know what's interesting? Because they humble themselves before God, it means God can be gracious now. And so look at verse seven. Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it outside the camp, far off from the camp, called it the tabernacle of the congregation. There is no the here before tabernacle. It just means a tabernacle. Moses took a tabernacle. And the word tabernacle just means a tent. So Moses took a tent, because remember the tabernacle is not built yet, even though he's received all the instructions for it. There is no tabernacle yet. So that's a bad translation. So Moses took a tent, most likely his own, and he takes it outside. He takes where his tent was, that was inside the middle of the camp, takes it not just outside the camp, but it says afar off. <laughs> he takes it far away. And he called it the tabernacle or the tent of the congregation, the tent of assembly, the tent of the meeting place. Remember, Moses did not participate in Israel's sins, so he could still have a relationship with God. He just have to separate his living arrangements from all the other people and get far enough away that God wouldn't wipe them out. Could you imagine what that was like? You see Moses, they're picking up the tent, moving it out there, and where are you going? I didn't worship the idol. I'm gonna have a relationship with the Lord. And he just keeps going and going and going far off. He's still their leader, and so they'd need him to judge their hardest issues, and so they'd have to come out there so he could get counsel from the Lord. But notice the addendum to the sentence that Moses adds here. And it came to pass that everyone that sought the Lord went out into the tabernacle of the congregation, which was outside the camp. Now, it says it came to pass. So this didn't happen right away. It doesn't happen when Moses first takes the tent out there. In fact, I think we'll see when this starts in a few verses. Moses is writing all this after the fact, so he's recalling, I put the tent out there, but you know what? Eventually, the people that were seeking the Lord, they came out there too. Now, the word sought can mean to inquire, or it can mean to seek out. So some suggest the first meaning is what it means, to inquire. So they would say, well, it just means they went out to Moses when he held court so that he could inquire the Lord to solve their discrepancies, their legal problems, whatever. But you know what? I don't think there's a whole lot of time interval between the event where he puts the tent out there and how this story ends. The story ends well. So I don't think there's a whole lot of time for that. I don't think they had any meetings where he went out there and judged them in this tent that was outside the camp. So I think it's the second meaning, which means to seek out. That people went out there to find the Lord. Why? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Now it came to pass when Moses went out unto his tent, way out there, that the people rose up and they stood every man at his tent door and they looked after Moses until he was gone into the tent. The word there looked means to gaze at, to observe. They were latched onto him. And in fact, looking after Moses means literally looking at the backside of Moses. As he's walking out, they're just looking at his backside as he's walking away and they can't get any closer to God. They're getting out, they're outside their tent. That's as far as they can go. You know, they can't go in out there and have a relationship with God. They can't go out there and meet with him. Here I see a people in mourning for what they've lost, watching it walk away with nothing to be done to fix it. And it it gets sadder in a sense because it came to pass as Moses goes inside the tent, verse nine, that the cloudy pillar, the, the smoke, the pillar of smoke, the column of smoke, it descended from the mountain and it stood right there at the entrance to the tent. And the Lord 
talked with Moses. So here they are, they're outside their tent. They watch him walk off into the distance. And then the cloud comes off the mountain and it doesn't come into their camp, but it comes and stands right at the door of the tent where Moses is. And they can hear the Lord's talking to Moses. This, this is incredible to me. The people doubted what was going up on the mountain because they couldn't see what was going on. As for this Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. What do you mean you don't know what's happened to him? He said he's going to go up and talk to the Lord. Well, now they saw everything that God had been doing up on the mountain. Everything he intended for them. Everything that Moses had hoped and dreamed for. Everything they had hoped and dreamed for. But now it's only for Moses. And it's only out in that tent. It's not in their tent. It's not in their camp. They can't experience it at all. Look at their response. It provokes a marvelous response. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar standing. The idea is they're gazing at this thing standing there, probably hoping, will it come this way at all? And the answer, of course, is no. So they saw the cloudy pillar standing there at the tent door. And as they're watching that, all of a sudden, all the people, it says they rose up and they worshiped. The word there, worshiped, it means to bow in reverence, to prostrate oneself. They just fell on their face and they began to worship the Lord. Every man in his tent door. This is as close as we can get, but we'll take it, you know? I mean, this is, this is you know, we wish we could get closer, but we're going to worship him right here. I want that. There's a longing in their, in, in their action here. We want that. We can't have that, but we're going to worship him from here. Can you see the contrast to how they were engaging in idolatry just the day before? And now here they are with the Lord just prostrating themselves, longing for this thing that Moses was experiencing. This is what repentance looks like. Just as their immoral idolatry was public, they worshiped the Lord out of their tents as close as they're allowed to come. And what they witness as they worship, it says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. Now, obviously, the face-to-face cannot mean literally because God will tell Moses in just a few verses that no man can see his face and live. The phrase face-to-face is a Hebrew idiom which meant they didn't use messengers or intermediaries. You didn't send a servant with a message. You didn't have intermediaries working between you. No, this was just Moses and the Lord speaking to one another. How? As a man speaks unto his friend. Isn't that awesome? I don't really know what they talked about. My guess is they didn't talk about anything like tabernacle. I mean, that's all done. They talked life, I imagine. It was a relationship. The same relationship that God wants with us. And you know what's interesting? When they're done talking, Moses turned again into the camp. So he comes outside the tent and he heads back towards the nation of Israel. But it mentions here, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses wasn't alone in that tent. See, Joshua hadn't participated in the idolatry either because he was up on the mountain. But while on the mountain, he also didn't get to experience the mountain experience with Moses. He wasn't in the presence of God. He wasn't hearing God's voice. He was outside. And now all of a sudden he's invited inside and he gets to hear God's voice. He gets to see God talk with Moses and maybe even with him, I don't know. But he, he, he's there in the midst of God's glory, experiencing everything that God had promised up on the mountain to Moses, the relationship with God. And Moses turns to go and Joshua's like, no, dude, I love you, but this is better. I love you, but I am not leaving this. And truthfully, you know, is, is there anything better than knowing Jesus? 
Nothing comes close to experiencing Kim. We sing that song, you know, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this pace and fill the atmosphere. But the lyric that leads up to that is, behind it is, it's the idea of, I've tasted, there's nothing that's like being with you. There's nothing like experiencing you, Lord, working in my life. And so Joshua here, he's seeing that. And this has been the constant testimony of God's people throughout history. Nothing compares to this. David said, one thing if I desire the Lord, and that's what I'm seeking after. And what was it? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David was a king with the heart of a priest. He, would, he says he would gaze out there and he said, man, I wish I could just be a doorkeeper in God's house. You're the king. Why would you want to be a doorkeeper? Because I'd be closer. That's what he longed for. That's what he wanted. He, he wanted that more than anything else. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, Martha's busy serving the Lord, you know, and, and serving the Lord's good. But, you know, she said, complains about Mary's not helping serve. Jesus says, listen, one thing's necessary, and Mary's picked it. Just sitting at my feet's better than serving. Serving's good, but this is better. Doing something for God is not the same thing as just hanging out with him. And, of course, Paul, he said, this one thing I do, I press on to the high prize of my calling, which is what? That I may know him, and I may know him. I believe this is where the last part of verse 7 comes into play. Because Moses is in there. Joshua's in there, and the people are all bowing at the door of their tents. And I believe at this moment, with all my heart, that someone said, you know what? I don't care if I die, I'm going out. Because I want to be with them, I want to be with him. And maybe he'll kill me, maybe he'll just consume me, but I don't care. Because this is not cutting it. (laughs) I want to know my God. And I believe that someone got up and went out there. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to find the Lord because I'd rather die in there with him than go to the promised land without him. And so I don't know how many went, but he just says everyone that sought the Lord. I don't know how many it was. Maybe it was just a few. Maybe it was a ton. But they went in there with Joshua and they experienced God. And guess what? God didn't kill him. God was gracious. And I believe seeing this is what prompts Moses to say what he does next. Because Moses in verse 12 says unto the Lord. I mean, remember, he's walking back to the camp. And I I don't know if he's walking back to the camp and he sees some people coming forward. Moses, don't stop me. I don't care. (laughs) If he kills me, he kills me. But I want him. And Moses turns around and comes back to the Lord. And he says, Lord, look. The word see. It means look. Look at what's going on with the people, Lord. What's going on now doesn't seem to match what you've said. You said if, if you come in their midst, you wipe them out. But here they are, Lord. And so he says, you say unto me, bring up this people. Again, pause, bring up this people. That's crazy. The whole thought is just mind-blowing to him. But he says, you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You say it's an angel, but I don't know this angel. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Lord, I don't know this angel, but you say you know me by name. You say I found grace in your sight. Therefore, now I pray you. If that's true, I believe it's true, but if it's true, if I have found grace in your sight, then I want you to show me your way, Lord. I I want you to lead me. If all this is true, then let's do this your way. Let's go back to what you showed me on the mountain. Let's go for it. I want you to lead us, Lord. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now thy way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And he says, Lord, consider it. And it's the same word as look back in verse 12. It's see. Lord, see, look. See that this nation is your people. Lord, take your people back. Go in our midst. Be gracious towards us. And you know, God's answer shows that this is what he was looking for all along. He was looking for repentance. He was looking for their humility. He was looking for confession. And so the Lord says to him, verse 14, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest or a place. I, not the angel, 
I will give you the promised land. I'm going to give you a home. So Moses said, it's so hard for me to read these words because you see relief in them. He says, if your presence go not with me, carry us not a pence. We'd rather stay out here in the desert with you than go anywhere else, even a promised land, Lord. We'd rather be here with you than even go there without you. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? What's the proof that we have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? So shall we be separated, distinguished, I and your people from all the other people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Israel had been religious prior to this, but I think now they get it. This wasn't about ritual, it was about relationship. And that is what would make them a special people, their relationship with God. That is what they want. And you know, this is the last step to experiencing God's grace. You have to believe that he'll be gracious when you ask. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? You gotta believe that he's gracious. You gotta believe that he'll respond. Now, maybe you're sitting there and thinking, but how could God just forgive them? There is no atonement. There is no sacrifice. How can he do that? There is. See, the Old Testament, their faith looked forward to the cross. The New Testament, we look back to the cross. And they're appealing to a God who knew that his son would come and die for all these sins. And it's on that basis that he could forgive them and he could go with them. You know, maybe tonight you're here and maybe you've sinned greatly in some way. You've got an area of your life where you've fallen short or maybe an area where you've really fallen short. Do you need great grace? Well, it's real simple. Humble yourself before the Lord. Recognize your sin, repent, and believe that God is gracious because he has great grace ready for you. Amen? Lord, we do thank you for your great grace. You are just looking for us to humble ourselves. You say you resist the proud, but you do give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, or maybe there are some of us here tonight who are, we've blown it. Maybe we've blown in our marriage or blown in our work or maybe just blown in our walk with you. And Lord, maybe we feel like there's no way you could forgive me. There's no way you could see what I've done and, and ever use me again, ever want to know me again or ever work in my life again. Lord, would you confirm to them now that you are ready to forgive if they'll just humble themselves and repent. Repent and believe that you'll forgive. And Lord, as we are doing so tonight with various things that are in our hearts and in our minds, confessing to you and receiving that wonderful forgiveness, that wonderful washing from you. Lord, would you strengthen us that we might walk in obedience? Israel had a relationship with you, Lord, but what they didn't have was your spirit to actually live it out. Well, Lord, you have given us your spirit. Empower us to live it out through him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God desires for us to have genuine repentance that moves us closer to him. God does not want vain ritual or sacrifice. He doesn't need us to try and work harder for our salvation. He wants to bring us to a place where we can acknowledge our sin and our inability to make it right with God. It is not a feeling of being sorry, but agreeing with the Lord that sin is sin. Sin is ugly. And then here we cling to the finished work of Jesus as we trust that He took our sin and dealt with it on the cross. This is repentance, to turn away from sin, 
and turn to the loving arms of God. Don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.